You're about to hear my conversation with our investment strategist, Brent Joyce. We recorded it on October 20th. We talked all about inflation, what are the causes behind inflation, the prospect of stagflation, as well as how companies are doing during the earnings season. I hope you enjoy it. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be back with Brent Joyce, our investment strategist. Welcome back, Brent. It's good to be here again, Matt. I thought we'd uh, kick things off with uh, talking about the current environment and what's top of mind to me, at least, and what we're starting to see a little bit more uh, in uh, headlines and articles is this idea of uh, a bit of a 1970s reboot with stagflation. We have commodity prices that are going up. We have uh, supply chains in disarray. Uh, all of that is feeding through to, to inflation. Uh, and then part of that is bad for growth as well. Uh, what do you see uh, when you look at the markets? Do you think this is a, a likely uh, possibility or something that investors should worry about? Yeah, th- thanks, Matt. That's uh, the stagflation's become Wall Street, Bay Street's um, new buzzword for, for the past couple of weeks. Uh, for those of us old enough to, to remember, it is not a pleasant environment. I mean, you've got prices rising with a soft uh, economy and struggling employment is, is the definition of stagflation. And you're quite right, commodity prices uh, can be a feedback loop to that. As much as we do have commodity prices rising, we've got to unpack this into a a number of um, uh, items that are cross currents that are around the globe and and to do with reopening as well. So oil is the the one that's probably most obvious to to folks. Uh, We drive past it, uh, the gas pumps and so on. Right. And oil prices are continue to come off of, of low levels in the context of what we think of the past 10 or 15 or 20 years, right? So there's lots of oil out there still. Uh, OPEC continues to re- keep supply away. Um, U.S. shale producers producer is more disciplined. I know you had uh, Benoit Gervais on last week and his comments about commodities. And I, I am in agreement with his um assessment that we've had this underinvestment period for 10 years, and, and we're going to have higher commodity prices than we perhaps have had in the past uh, five or six years. But the global economy can function on $85, $90, oil. It's, a, it's just a bit of an adjustment. But most importantly, and, and we'll talk about inflation in a moment, I think, is sort of the next question. Okay, if not stagflation, what, what is it about inflation then? But for stagflation, there's key ingredients that are missing at the moment. Stagflation is a concept where you have a lack of demand and you have struggling labor markets. And this is the exact opposite of what we have today. Sure. What is causing the inflationary pressure, commodity prices are feeding into it to some extent and certainly has uh, some people fearful. I think, as I mentioned, the current levels are not anything to, to panic about. Some spikes we can get into as look very transitory. Uh, on some commodities. But the fact that we have 10 million job openings in the US, the fact that we're continuing to see very robust employment growth, we know we still have runway for the economies uh, globally to to reopen. Um, The fact that we're talking about global growth slowing, but slowing from high levels, 
and settling in certainly all of next year at levels that are well above what we've been used to. And this, again, is going to feed some of that price inflation, particularly in the commodity side. Why do we have high energy prices? Some supply issues, yes, but also we've got very robust demand. Um, so the stagflation argument is one that we should pay attention to because if these things are persistent mm -hmm. or we have some permanent impairment to the labor market, and I would say we have some impairment to the labor market, but I don't know the, how permanent it is, then we would be more on alert for stagflation. But the evidence at the moment is very strong demand is what's driving the economy. It's largely responsible for what's driving price increases. That's a good response. That's a healthy sign. It's a good problem to have. We've talked about good problems to have you know, sure. for many months now. This continues to be one of those. Great. Um, so it sounds like the uh, with stagflation, you're probably in the camp that it's unlikely uh, based on the fact that uh, growth seems like it's still there. But you, you pointed out inflation before. Let's talk about inflation specifically. Uh, some of the uh, things that you, you pointed out, um, struggling labor force, uh, reopening, that type of thing. That sort of sounds inflationary or can be inflationary, particularly as we see uh, uh, average uh, hourly wages creep up. Um, What's your thoughts on inflation? There's always a persistent versus transitory argument. Where do you where do you stand uh, now? Yeah, so let's talk about um, a couple of things first. So we've got power outages in China, and people are, are asking questions about that. We have power issues and supply chain issues in the UK and parts of Europe, and people are asking questions about that. Um, that is demand driven and running into pinch points on the supply chain, whether it's you know, the, the uh, battle, for lack of a better word, between Australia and China over coal uh, imports and exports, whether it is more uh, a policy-driven event in China because uh, regulators are looking to meet uh, carbon emissions quotas, right? So that's, a, that's an exogenous impact. Same thing in the UK. People see, and this is, I think, where, you know, the stagflation, the 1970s, the lineups at the fuel pumps, people, right. you know, see that on... on uh, the news reels coming out of out of the UK, well, that has more to do with Brexit and the fact that you have have cut the labor supply because of rules and regulations that are still not formalized. You know, on Brexit, you got the shortage of, of uh, lorry drivers, right, as they would call them. So we need to set some of those things that make the headlines um, to the side and say that those are not about a commodity crunch. Those are are not necessarily even about a COVID-related supply problem, right? The supply issues uh, bespoke to China and, and UK policy to, to some large extent. And so then the question is, where do we see inflation moving through the piece here? Uh, we've done some um, modeling on US inflation. You know, we had Canadian numbers come out this week and they were a little bit hotter than expected. Uh, there's a number of inflation numbers we have to, to be mindful of. Headline inflation going to reach the highest numbers and be most volatile. That's not the inflation that central banks care about uh, predominantly. It's what politicians will chime off of and the media will certainly rail about. But as investors, inflation is about central, central bank um, reaction function. Right. And so for Canada, just briefly, the core measures that the Bank of Canada watches, um, the one that they're most uh, interested in is still below 2% at 1.8, right? A common, uh, common measure. In the U.S., We've got a spike in inflation. We model it out. We were worried about the market, equities and, and the bond market, 
having a tantrum when they saw these inflation numbers in and around the fall. And the tantrum is, oh my gosh, we didn't expect that we were going to get this high. Base effects, right? People can do that math. It's not that difficult. Uh, right. Account for a large part of it. So we are seeing the worst of it for um, uh, the U.S. and Canada over the next couple, three months. And then you really have to have a persistent inflation problem in order to see these numbers stay at 4 and 5%. So the modeling that we did, we said, well, let's look at three scenarios. We'll look at whether inflation goes back to normal, well, quote unquote normal, average levels pre-pandemic on a monthly basis. And then we'll, we'll put a premium on those monthly levels. We'll juice it up by 25%, so a, a quarter more inflation per month than we had. And then by 50%, half more inflation than we had prior to the pandemic. These are, these are pretty generous um, scenario analysis. Sure. And, and in the most extreme scenario, a year out from now, U.S. inflation still comes down to 3%. Probably still a scary number for central bank reaction functions. Three percent inflation a year from now, after it's already come through four and five, and maybe, and I would say, as a betting man, more than likely we'll see a six print, all right, for headline U.S. inflation um, through through the next number of months, and that's that's going to certainly shock people, but it will come down very very rapidly. You have to look at the path underlying. Inflation is always a point to point measure. So if oil goes from 50 bucks to 100 bucks, that's 100% inflation. But right. if it goes from 100 to $102, that's 2% inflation. Sure. And this is, I think, the environment. So one time move up in inflation, we can digest that, particularly in the backdrop of it's very much demand-driven supply bottlenecks that are getting unwound. Um, and where we land a year from now will be a different regime from what we've had the past 10 years. You know, Benoit talked about structural in the commodity space. That's real. It's um, normal price triggers to incent energy producers to go and do some investment, which they've not been incented to do for, for 10 years, right? So these are, these are normal price signals that we need, obviously. We're not ready to flip the switch to a carbon zero economy just yet, although we want to move in that direction, right? And so if we get down to 2, 215, 220, 225 inflation uh, into the back half of next year, for consumers and households, that's an adjustment. Again, politicians might might uh, face some heat over that. But let's remember, that's the number central banks have been trying to achieve right. for yeah. the last 10 years. Yeah. You know, I mentioned supply chains and the transitory nature of them. Just, just to update folks, um, for those who read our work, we talked about the bottlenecks at the Los Angeles uh, port system in California. We're starting to see that roll and peak over. You heard the big announcement, the White House talking with um, logistics operators and specifically the Port of Los Angeles around moving to a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week model to relieve the congestion. Everyone's freaking out in the U.S. Am I going to be able to get a turkey and a Christmas tree, right, as we head toward the holiday season and, right. and, and you know, gifts, et cetera, right? Um, and some of the pinch right now is because retailers were backing up their orders as far back as March last year. So I do think we're in peak pinch for supply chains at the moment. We've got some of these measures. We're certainly seeing some of the, the um, congestion roll over from their peaks in, in places like the Port of Los Angeles. And so I think this the inflation number will stay top of mind for four, five, six more months. But hopefully the shortages, supply chain pinches 
will uh, the, the volume on that will start to come down um, as we move through, particularly the earnings season. We'll be curious to, to see how many companies are pointing to supply chains and what they plan to do about it. Great. Um, well, let me pick up on something that you mentioned earlier, actually, because I, I'm curious. You've piqued my curiosity. Uh, you were talking about the labor market uh, and uh, impairment within the labor market. Uh, and we've seen uh, the last couple of job numbers out of the U.S. have pretty big misses. They, I know that they ratcheted up the August, so September didn't look as bad, but still a fairly sizable miss. Um, so what's your view on the impairment? And I explain exactly what you mean by impairment. Um, and, uh, you know, it seems like an odd thing to have uh, unemployment that's still, I mean, higher than it was pre-COVID uh, in the U.S. specifically and all these vacancies. So how do you make sense of that? Well, factoid, let's uh, shout out to Canada, right? We've replaced all of the pandemic uh, job losses uh, as right. of our recent reports. So that's wonderful for those, those families and households uh, to be back at work. Um, again, th there's no simple answer to many of these topics, unfortunately. Sure. Break this down into pre-COVID, what COVID may have done and what COVID may have accelerated, and then try to sift away from that with what is, is the temporary transitory part. So the numbers today are still clouded by the fact that we had the Delta variant, which whether that kept kids at home. Remember, U.S. schools go back in August, right? So whether right. that kept kept parents at home because of childcare issues or kept people fearful of getting the disease at home, um, there's an element to that. How to quantify that? You know, next to impossible. Right. Then you have this. People are still getting paid to stay home uh, by the government, including in the U.S. You had most of those. Uh, finally expire in September. So the data is still very clouded by that. We should expect to see both of those uh, uh, decline in the, in the Delta uh, wave, which is, uh, is on a very, very good declining path in the US and in Canada, uh, and also the expiration of the supports, see people come back into the labor force. You had, um, not only in Canada, we replace all the jobs, but we also don't have wage growth as hot as in the U.S. And so right. more supply of labor in the U.S. should help to get at some of those hot uh, wage increase numbers. As an aside, you know, rising wages also means those consumers have money in their pockets to spend. So there is a, a little bit of a silver lining there for businesses. It's all about balance. And then pre-COVID, you have a, an aging population and a, and a retiring demographic. This existed. We were talking about labor force uh, declining. Uh, in, in the developed world, quite frankly, but certainly in North America. Right. Um, so there is that current that hasn't gone away, right? We still have this demographic that is a bit of a headwind for uh, labor market participation. So longer term piece is that. Shorter term piece is the incentives and the, and the disease. And then the piece that we have to be watching, and this is the part where I say, is there long term impairment? Is have we seen the pandemic change structurally, and when I say structurally, for a number of years, two things. One is that retirement trend. Did it speed it up? So I left the labor force. Yeah. I'm 57, 61, 60, whatever, right? And I'm, I'm just not going back, right? Sure. Um, so there's probably an element of that. The other is we have, have you know, this whole work from home uh, and that sort of stuff. I see that as an opportunity to increase the labor force. A change in the attitude amongst employers about work from home, flexible work hours, flexible work arrangements, all of that should open the door for folks who would like to work 12 hours a week or 18 hours a week that previously sure. couldn't, right, to bring those in. So flexibility is a good thing in capital markets. 
And I suppose the other element has been the disruption to migration, immigration flows. Um, lots of lots of issues around that, obviously in the U.S., but even in Canada, our numbers are way down, uh, and, and you know, travel restrictions, border closures, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So we've got some catch up to do there. So there are many currents in the labor market because central banks are very focused on the labor market. I would say that is job number one versus inflation at the moment. Um, it's going to take a fair amount of of months and quarters to really piece this puzzle together and get at whether we're structural, medium term, short term, in terms of what's happening with the labor market. Perfect. Uh, maybe we'll shift gears and talk a little bit about corporate earnings. Uh, we're in the midst of uh, earnings season. Um, valuations uh, on uh, developed markets have certainly been fairly high, I'd say, uh, over the past several months. So a little bit of a breather in September, but um, still, still fairly good. Um, are earnings delivering uh, to justify the valuations? And, and uh, how are you feeling about the earnings season and the results so far? Yeah, so we're early days still here. We've just had the S&P 500 kick off about 10 days of, of earnings announcements. Um, it's spectacular again, right? So I've had some consternation about when are we going to have peak earnings growth. And I still believe it will happen. I mean, you can look past decades and decades of history. We will get there. Um, the the, um, the $64,000 question, how do you make money off it, is obviously the timing of that. And I I wasn't lock set that we were going to run into a problem in this third quarter, but I was had my spidey senses up. That's now um, you know been alleviated to some extent with the strength of the earnings. But we still have... The, I mean, we've had the, the financials been the largest reporter so far coming through, and they're not necessarily facing the same kinds of supply chain and, and right. uh, cost pressures, right? You don't uh, put much oil into a, a bank branch potentially, right? Or an sure. M&A deal. Yeah, sure. um, so, so there's still a shoe to drop on that. Really now it's a question of turning our attention to forward guidance statements from uh, corporations. You know, the good news is analyst estimates – seem to have caught up and are starting to uh, like the, the pace of that, the slope of that curve is falling and markets still st- are staying quite stable. Um, the pullback we had in September was, I would argue, shallow and brief. Um, uh, and so valuations got a, a little bit, a little bit better. And now we're you know marching back on to, to new all time highs in right. many markets. The question, and we've, we've talked about this before, the earnings are coming through strong enough to justify current prices because we're just getting back to current prices from September's little little blip there. Right. It's where are we in three, six, nine months? And I think the backdrop is strong enough uh, from an economic macro standpoint. Rates will stay reasonably contained enough, although higher. Commodity sure. prices will... Uh, stay elevated, but not continue to accelerate. Like I don't see $125 oil, you know, persistently. I really beg the question whether we're going to see $100 oil persistently when you've got OPEC can can pump, right? I think they like a number, they used to like 80, that's probably closer to 100 now, but um, there are fixable problems as you move through the next 9, 12 months that is a very positive backdrop. What I would ask the question is, where are we going to get the positive surprises on earnings if analysts have caught up? Going to be some some pinch from cost pressures. The easy money has been made in terms of the, the rebounding earnings growth. 
Um, and that, does, that doesn't mean markets fall 20%. It just sure. means that the gains from here on out are going to be a little tougher to come by. Um, an environment where fundamentals, active management, the ability to add alpha, all should be um, you know, a more uh, target-rich environment, shall we, shall we say. Excellent. Uh, Brent, why don't we call it there? I think that was a, a great place to stop. Uh, sounds like pretty optimistic economically. Market's a little bit harder with valuations being where they are. Uh, totally makes sense for me. Really appreciate your thoughts on uh, inflation and the like. Uh, thank you very much. My pleasure, Matt. Yeah, I would really encourage folks to look past the headlines and set aside what might be sort of sensational headline grabbing uh, type issues and think about things as, is, is, is this still going to be a problem three months, six months, a year from now? That's good advice and you could probably apply it beyond just the business section headline as well. Uh, but <laughs> thanks for that, Brent. Uh, and uh, we'll chat soon, I'm sure. Thanks, Matt. Take care. content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 